1: You've got these characters who just appear. They all need to have a beautifully designed costume and weapon and things like that. You know, even if they just appear for a fleeting moment, the viewers going to spot if it's not up to scratch. That's the challenge with working on on, on the, these big TV shows.
0: Welcome to another bonus episode of West of Westeros Entertainment Weekly's Game of Thrones podcast. I'm Nick Romano, a senior writer here at EW, and our episode-by-episode coverage of House of the Dragons premiere season may have concluded, but we still have some goodies left over. Today I'm joined by Tim Lewis, the master armorer on House of the Dragon, who's responsible for making all the swords, shields, and other weapons on the series. He also happens to be the master armorer on The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, if that's something you care about. This interview was conducted fairly early on in the season for House of the Dragon, so there aren't too many spoilers past episode three. Some of the topics we discuss include the making of the Valyrian steel blades, like Blackfire, Dark Sister, and Viserys' dagger. We talk about specific props, like the spear presented to Viserys at the Royal Hunt by Jason Lannister, and also the hammer wielded by the crab feeder at the Stepstones. If you'd like to know how the sausage gets made, or what details you might have missed on the show, you won't want to skip this chat. Take a listen. Have you been kind of keeping up uh, with the episodes week to week, watching at home?
1: I, I have. I, I, you, I haven't watched this week, um, but I, I've watched up to episode three, which was uh, probably one of our biggest episodes. So, uh, yeah, just keeping an eye on, on on all the weapons in that. And So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing this week's.
0: Yeah. Uh, does it feel like a special moment to kind of, like, see all of your hard work kind of realized on screen, or are you over it <laughs> at this point?
1: <laughs> it's always... A, a, a mix because you just spend your time looking for all of your stuff and, and errors and continuity things, so you're always constantly watching for your work. Um, and so sometimes you lose uh, track of the story. But, um, actually, that was the nice thing about episode two for, for me because I watched episode one at the premiere, and that was really that was a lot of us because of the J- Joust. Uh, episode two didn't have any weapons or action. So I just got lost as a punter. I was like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in this. This is great. And then, and then back in on episode three, it was all action. So uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be in a project where you can just some weeks just sort of watch it as a, 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 as a, as a punter in a way, as a, not as a uh, watching out for your work and being critical. So yeah, it's
0: good. Yeah. So how did you get pulled in to work on this project uh, to begin with? I'm trying to, I have to remember now how I did. Uh,
1: I'm not sure. I don't remember who it was. It was probably from the production, um, Hannah Godwin. I think she was the first person to get in touch with me. I can't remember how she got my number. Um, I had been, I, I, I've done a lot of projects like this. So um, I think previous to this, to, to, to Dragons, I'd been on Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. So, and then, you know, almost my entire CV goes back and it includes some sort of uh, medieval battle fight stuff, a, a lot of that sort of period weapons. Yeah, I, I can't remember how I got involved, but I remember being asked to send in my um, portfolio to, 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 to Ryan and, and Miguel. And um, funnily enough, I did a podcast for Ryan because he does a podcast on prop collecting and he said it wasn't until he looked at my CV and my portfolio online it clicked he went man we're actually making this project because you know before that it's all the writing it's all the um you know trying to pull the finances in but it's not until you say oh we're hiring a person who makes stuff uh, that it clicks that they went yeah, this is actually going ahead. This is happening. We're doing it. So it was kind of like funny to hear that from him because you don't usually get to uh, uh, hear that from the showrunners or producers or anything. So it was, yeah, and Ryan's super into uh, into his weapons. So it's uh, it it's been a really fruitful relationship on on that side. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I remember that podcast um, that you mentioned with you and Ryan. It, I, I remember thinking to myself, like he—he's such a nerd for like all these props and all these weaponry, kind of like what you said. What was it like just having pre-production conversations with him about the direction, like for these weapons? Was he like really involved in that process? Yeah,
1: him and McGill—they were really keen, which was lovely. I remember my first. Proper meet, sit down meeting with them. I, I brought along a lot of weapons um, to sort of show them. Uh, after I, you know, read the script and, and and I just wanted to show them what 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 I had to in stock. And they kind of looked through a lot of the stuff and went, "Yeah, that's totally Triarchy pirates, or that that's how we imagine, you know, Valerians, or so and so, so and so forth." So that moment was was great just to sort of get a grasp of what they wanted. And from then on, it was a case of. Me sitting down and doing the drawings uh, and then liaising with them and discussing things, at, um, and each director as well. Um, Greg, he, he was very interested in how the weapons could portray the story. He was doing a lot of the action episodes, the, 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 bat, the, the fight and things like that. So things like the crab feeders hammer, he was, what to be, he was really keen on that because it was, the character was written quite differently um, in the scripts. And actually, it, it sort of developed through these conversations, and um, yeah, and, and also he, he was involved in the in the in the lance in episode three at the hunt that uh, gets given to King Viserys by the Lannisters, and he was sort of walking me through how what he wanted this lance to be, uh, and it, it wanted to be really, really gaudy and nasty and horrible and. and 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 I sort of went away and started drawing these things, and and it just goes against the grain to draw things that aren't nice. It's it was really difficult, and and he just sort of said, "Look, just imagine I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm this lord, and I've I've commanded you to do do it like this. It's got to be dragon breathing fire, blah blah blah. And it, it can be well made, but it's it's it's." It's not nice, and um, and after it was quite. It was a sort of a role play moment between me and Greg, and just kind of what what this eventual uh, design was going to look like. I watched it last week, and you just go. I, I hope people get that that it's supposed to be nasty, It's <laughs> not very nice. You just it's a, it's
0: always a worry that that you kind of doing this thing that's you know just they're going to go. Oh God, who designed that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting that you call it nasty. Cause like from when I was, when I first watched the episode, I was like, oh, this is a really cool Lance. And it did kind of have a little bit of beauty to me, but like now thinking back to like my second or third viewing of that episode, I, I think I understand what you're saying, but are there like for the land specifically, are there like certain specificities that you wanted to bring to that, that maybe like a casual viewer of the show wouldn't pick up on as being nasty as, as you called it.
1: Well- it was just, I mean, I, I'd done a lot of different... In the script, I think it read it was a, it was a dragon breathing a, 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 a flame of spear, effectively. And it was trying to uh, depict something that felt medieval, but esque. And, and sometimes you draw something and it feels too, too toy-like, almost, or too fantasy. And so I think we did do a sculpt and it felt big and clunky and possibly too, too toy-like so i ended up doing a sort of medieval twist on it and and it was a, it was more the case of the materials we made it out of so in the end it was gold plated and silver plated and um so it was it was the fact that you know it, at the end of the day a, a boar spear is supposed to be practical is long it's supposed to have these little prongs that keep a boar from sliding up the, the the shaft and actually it was just well wasn't very what we made we kind of want it to feel like it was thought that it could be practical but actually it wasn't that practical it was more beauty over practicality but yeah and, and then we've got the, the there's, there's the tassel section and that's actually historically was supposed to stop the blood from uh going down the, the, the shaft of the uh of the lance so that's why that's in there and then you've got all these embroidered sections on on the on the shaft as well which kind of you know just all a little bit over the top so yeah hopefully that that, that sort of comes across but yeah
0: you also mentioned um, the crab feeder's hammer, and I was curious if it was always in the scripts, always meant to be a hammer because it's it felt like a very specific weapon for this particular character.
1: Yeah, a script. Like, I think I said earlier, script wise, the character was very different, um, and it, he, he became this sort of reclusive, nasty uh, character, and. It wasn't. It was going to be a sword. It sort of, I think it said in the script earlier on, it was a bejeweled sword he had. but uh, And that went against what Greg imagined. And he liked the idea of this hammer because he wanted to see the crab feeder literally hammering his enemies to the post so the crabs could eat them. So th- that was part of the, the reason it being hammered. And then I just ended up, Putting a, a sort of meat masher side on, on 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 one on the on the hammer part, and then a bladed section on the other. So it could be used in a battle um, setting. It's it's a shame we never really got to see him fight with it, but <laughs> it, was, I mean, it could have been could have been quite fun. But um, yeah, and 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 it, we see we see the uh, we see David bring that uh, bring that hammer back. I think um, in in one of the episodes and throw it on the floor. And it was—it just wanted to look a little bit like he. Greg was saying it wanted to feel like he could have stolen, taken it from somewhere. Like he's collected all this stuff, and it was just something that he picked up, and he doesn't really look after it. It's gone a little bit, not rusty, but it's—it's uh, it, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, it started to wear away and weather in the in the in the sea um, seaside weather. So yeah, um it was it was. It was good. It was a good little project that, and um, I think when I would be walking around the studio, when my guys were walking around the studio at uh, standbys with it, they, it would often garner a little bit of attention. And uh, yeah, because it just looked a little bit, uh, a little bit nasty.
0: <laughs> that seems like a, a common theme among these weapons—nasty weapons, uh, nasty weapons <laughs> almost. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It was um i'm trying to think back to so i mean we did a lot of swords uh and we had a really amazing uh sword maker in sweden called uh, peter johnson who's um, uh, i mean he's written a lot of books he's a very uh, well known historical sword uh expert and he designed black and dark sister which are the two sort of key props and he he was actually uh, on before I came on so Ryan had been in touch with him because Ryan was so keen to have these um, uh, these amazing swords and when I came on board I couldn't believe you know Pete, wow Peter's doing stuff that's that's really great news you know you can't get any many people better than that to, to be doing it so it was great to sort of then speak to him and be involved with uh, working with him. Um, and then from that it kind of influenced the way I took the rest of the sword designs really and hopefully you know they, they all tie together and with, with with all these projects you've got to sort of work in broad brush strokes to begin with with the armies and try and because you've got massive amounts of swords to make so you've got to in a very short amount of time that, that's, that's the, the thing with TV and film production, you, you there's is, this is months to do it. And if you're making one sword, it can take three months to make a sword. So you've got to sort of work out how you're going to uh, do it quickly. So um, with the armies specifically, that's the key ones you want to get designed and, and manufactured um, so that they can be worked on whilst you're then working on all these other principles um that, that play throughout and, and, the, and the thing with house of dragons is unlike a film you've got these characters who just appear for like maybe a quarter of an episode or half an episode or so they all need to have a beautifully well hopefully beautifully designed costume and weapon and things like that you know even if they just appear for, for a fleeting moment um yeah they they it, the the, the viewer is going to spot if it's not up to scratch so uh it's um that's the challenge with working on 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 the, these big tv shows it's not like a film they kind of there's so many different characters
0: yeah mm. I think it's so interesting what you say about how the design of Blackfire and Dark Sister kind of inspired how you designed all the other swords for the series. I mean, what were what were the biggest takeaways um, in your first conversations about you know what Blackfire and what Dark Sister would actually be realized on the screen? Mm, well, the designs hadn't
1: been quite finalized when I came in, and it was I think Ryan had sort of d- uh, told. Peter, you know some basic uh, feelings like the, the the slenderness of of, day, uh, of Dark Sister um, as opposed to Blackfire's more larger blade, which would be a more sort of uh, kingly statement um, piece. And then going into all the detailing, like the the, the I, I mean, like Peter just had literally cast the pommels in silver. You know we could never we would never do anything like that on a film. It's you know, it was just all the detailed work that he did was just so intricate and beautiful. And so, you know, I and, and in all honesty, these two swords are standout swords in the universe of Westeros and, and so we were never trying to outdo that, but we wanted to fit in with that. And also looking back at Game of Thrones, you, you know, you don't want to jump too heavily away from an established world exists so everything we did kind of hopefully harks into that world and and and, um yeah and and i'm very much of a a style of, of manufacture which is authentic as well and that's the same as peter uh, it, it didn't want to feel like a fantasy sword it wanted to feel like an authentic sword and how an authentic sword would have been made you know we we think the same way it's you know how would it have been done it would have been you know carved in wax and then cast as a lost wax cast and then the wooden handle would be made up and wrapped in leather and all these components would come together on the blade and that's how we make our swords and um and and So it was, it it wasn't too hard to kind of keep into that same world as, as Peter. Um, And, and yeah, just playing with those, uh, those designs and, and constantly going and chatting with Ryan and saying, Hey, Ryan, what do you, what do you think of this? This is uh, you know, this is for character such and such or whatever. Um, So yeah, it was great, great fun. Amazing. Um, Yeah. And there's other characters like, you know, the sea snake as well, his, for a, Miguel and Ryan said that they wanted something really big and and uh, menacing because Steve, who plays the the sea snake, is a, is a big guy and he's 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 got a background, you know, in, in, or the sea snake has a background. He's this sort of uh, seafaring um, uh, character who's been everywhere and and had adventures, and so. He needed to have something that stood out, and I went away and, and drew some really big swords, and and but but swords that were um, true to true his, true to a historical um, bent, really. And 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 also I drew some bardishes, which is what he eventually had. And 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 um, Ryan and Miguel, I remember them sort of going, it looks a bit fantasy, and I literally pulled up some references of bardish. That were even more fantasy than what I'd drawn, and, he, and they went, "All oh, right, there's precedent for that." And they and I think that was part of what they wanted was not for things not to uh, be too out there. It needed to feel like it came from a medieval time because, like, I, I think one of their comments was, "There's dragons in this world, but you have to believe that there are dragons in this world by believing that everything else within the world exists." You know was authentic you know you don't want anything that's too fantastical the only thing that's fantastical is these dragons that's that's that was their feel on it so I was trying very hard to keep everything as historically accurate as possible but playing with design so yeah we did I I did the the Bardiche, and um, I remember you know asking Greg when, when are we you know trying to work out when we wear it First gets seen, and the first time you see it is when he comes over the sort of sandy mound on the beach with it in his hands and he's swinging it in anger uh so yeah they were they were super pleased with that and, and it, there's a sort of big axe side at the t- on 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 one end and then there's a big spiky ball on the other end, which uh he sort of swings to uh, yeah, great effect, I think, and takes people out. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was. But you know, all these characters—they have not just the, the their big weapons; they've got all the daggers and knives as well. So it was just a case, you know, uh, there, there was there was so much design to do, um, and it, um, yeah, kept us busy for a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, were you also um, involved in um, the look of the Cerise's dagger when you talk about? all these other kind of weapons that are in the show.
1: That was interesting because um, I, I think quite early on, the guys said that they wanted it to be the cat's ball dagger from game of thrones. And we got the cat's ball dagger over from Ireland, uh, from the legacy. And we, we had it there and we, we took measurements and we, uh, we were allowed it for a couple of weeks. I can't remember how long now. It was all you know, it's heavily guarded, it came over in a pelly case, and um I had to sort of keep it locked up whilst it was uh, with us. and um and and we we looked at it and we sort of said, "Well, maybe we could just adjust it here. We don't want it to feel like a you know it's directly the same thing. And also, Paddy had to wear it all the time. It was always on him, And he was. That was what he wanted to do as well. He was really key. that was his um, his part, partly one of his ways of defining his character. You know, it was always on him. So um, I went away and took the design. We we reduced it slightly because he was going to be have it all the time. We reduced its overall size and length, and then we just played with different. Different ways of uh, uh, different designs, and what we went for in was the same silhouette. It's got, a, um, I think, it's like a dragon bone handle uh, on it, and then the metalwork is the bit that's different. And there's, there is the there is a, a gem on there, um, which again goes into the uh, the Game of Thrones version of it. Um, but we just thought the metalwork and that could be something that could be altered or uh, could have been, you know, damaged or something to become what it became in Game of Thrones. So we were never sort of trying to like go too far away. We wanted to feel like, well, you take the blade, you take the handle, you change the metalwork a bit and it becomes that one from Game of Thrones. So it, it's, it's the same thing, but like all things, they, they, they change through time. Um, you know it 's hundreds of years, so uh yeah that was that was our field and the The other thing was that that was one of the uh you know that and Dark sister and blackfire are all valerian steel um which is i 'm sure you know is, is a damascus effect which um or Woot's effect of of steel and we, whilst Peter himself used actual Damascus steel to make Blackfire and, uh, and and Dark Sister, we didn't use it. We make most of our blades in an aluminium because it's lighter and it's um, you know, easier because we make ours slightly thicker so we can make them in rubber, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But so then that meant that we had to etch all of these um, Damascus effects into the aluminium, which meant um, that you would, we would first come up with the, with the design, then we would apply, a, uh, we would then draw that up on the computer, cut that out and a vinyl, lay the vinyls onto the blade, peel off each tiny little bit of, uh, of highlight of the, of the blade, sorry, low light of the blade, and then that would then get etched in an acid And then you would take that out. I mean, it took like ages to do one blade. It would, you know, you're just pulling all these vinyls off, and then, and it's not until you finally take it out of the acid, and then you clean it up, and then you pull all the rest of the vinyl off to to know if it's worked. And if it hasn't worked, you've wasted the entire, you know, time you spent making the blade and then trying to etch it. So that was that was a really big uh, long. Arduous process, so um, yeah. Valerian steel is uh, <laughs> is uh, the the most arduous uh, of, of of blades to make in the whole of Westeros. I can guarantee you that. So um, yeah, uh, it was. But but um, I think that was one of the other things that um, uh, Miguel specifically was keen to have was, was actual Valerian steel look to these things. Um, so. And and for it to read on camera as well. So hopefully that does come across that you can see that
0: these things are actually,
1: you know, um,
0: look like they are what they're supposed to be. Yeah, no, I think it absolutely does. And we also kind of learn in the context of the show that if, you know, if you heat up um, Viserys' dagger, you can see all these High Valyrian glyphs um, about, you know, Aegon's prophecy. I mean, did you also have to design that blade with all those etchings in it, or was that kind of visual effects laid in after the fact?
1: Thankfully, I didn't. It was all the visual effects uh, world, um, which was, um, which was no. What we did have to do uh, was um, to supply a knife that would go into that fire. And the knife that we actually made would not survive going in that fire originally, because it's uh, um, the, the the handle itself is a form of plastic. Um, so we ended up making um, plaster ones. So that's that knife you see in there is actually a plaster version. Which we artworked up, and then it's visual effects take over. So that was actually, whilst it seems like a really uh, innocuous, easy part of uh, the the filming to do, just well, stick the knife in a fire. That's what you know knives can do. Uh, it was actually uh, it was it took a little bit of thinking about. It. So yeah, that was. Um, but yeah, we didn't. I, I, that that went into the art department and the visual effects department to uh, create all the glyphs.
0: Um, yeah. Another um dagger that I just my eyes immediately went to when I was watching this show um is the one that Lord Corliss carries around with him, and the hilt of it it looks like a mollusk just kind of open with like a little pearl in the middle. Um, yeah, that was so cool. What was the process like designing that one and actually making it?
1: so uh, that's probably one of uh, those that and Damon's knives are probably my favorite. of the... Of the- you know, items we made. And the Corliss's knife is, uh, it started off, they're basically like, um, I was looking at 16th century ear daggers, Italian ear daggers, um, which have this sort of ears effectively on the pommel, right, where you, where you were saying they're like a mollusk. And I just went, do you know what, it's, he's, the sea snake he's traveled to seas let's introduce some form of uh oceanic feel to it but then if you look inside that pommel there is uh, a, a, a movable section so um it's quite hard to describe but <laughs> um on the inside of the ears are the basically a kind of map. And, and my th- idea was that uh, it was a form of astrolabe, which is a medieval um, way of, of, of helping you to to, to um, work out where you are navigation, uh, when you're at sea, the inside has got all these lines which tell you this line up the stars or something like that you know that, that that uh you would then turn the centerpiece in the middle of the dagger which actually turns uh which has got valerian runes on which would effectively give you a northeast southwest and you would then be able to use that knife pommel to navigate your way at sea so uh probably not many people know that so um uh, <laughs> It's, it's a small piece, but uh, it 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 helps. You know, it's little elements like that which help the actor get into the character. I think it it's just taking those pieces of, of the character and, and weaving the story. Uh, and so that's where I think it's really important to get into your design is is, is those elements. So yeah, it's got this it's got this mollusk like sea uh, shells on it um it the, the blade itself is quite wispy and curvy and, and actually some of the um uh, the leatherwork the uh the sheath that it's in it also have that sort of um it's got leather carving which uh which which have got sort of sea elements ocean ocean elements um so yeah it was it was a really uh, satisfying um piece when it came together um and again the the damon dagger it was once I'd sort of gone down this ear dagger route. I I, I liked it when I played on that, and uh, Damon's is again an ear dagger, and um, but his has got a sort of dragon's egg in the centre, and then it's got these sort of shell, uh, shell ears on on the side. Um, yeah, it was it was um, yeah, they were really nice pieces, and then also Damon's little uh knife that he's got as so, so we made Damon's knife and then it on the camera tests we put the we put dark sister on and we put the belt on because we do all the belts as well and all the buckles and we put the the knife on and then he he was just sort of he's just, he's an actor who likes to do things with his hands and so he was sort of saying I, I can I have something just something that Maybe this is this knife too big, but can I have another one that's like a little, like a prison shank, sort of small <laughs> little? Uh, okay, yeah, sure. So we went away and we did this little sort of. It's 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 quite you don't really notice it on, on there, but it's it's a it's a really small little blade, a little small handle, uh, and uh, an ostrich skin pouch, and um, he just felt that was his character. It was just this little nasty little yeah prison shank thing so he, he he had that all the time on as well as his other knife and they just sat next to each other and it's little things like that you kind of you've got to let sometimes the actors feed you you know what do you, you know i can say you know we've done this dagger to help you get your character but what do you want from us you know we can give you whatever you want within reason so that was nice a two-way sort of relationship with that actor mm.
0: make her build are there any other examples like that that stick out in your mind when an actor came to you and asked you to make something? Um,
1: I, uh, the only one I can say is um, Emily, who plays Rhaenys. Rain- I, I sort of pointed out that none of the female characters really have weapons. Um, uh, Rhaenyra does. She has a little hunt dagger. Um, in episode three uh, but no and, and for obvious reasons because you know that's part of the story it's you know the, the female characters in the, their battleground is the bed etc you know all, all that but but she i remember miguel saying would you you know you're a weapon like that and she went yeah i want a weapon and, and he went well you'll have a you can have a diamond tipped whip and <laughs> they just looked at me i was like Okay, all right. Uh, a, di- a diamond tip whip it is then. Um, so we went away and we, we we did we we did make up some whips, um, but uh, and and actually Emily, I think she had a bit of training, but uh, she uh, it, it never got used in the end. It kind of didn't work. It didn't it it didn't fit in in uh, any part of the uh, of the shoot. So uh, which was uh, yeah a shame. Uh, with Reese uh, Reese Sevan's, Otto Hightower he uh we we've made a number of daggers and his character doesn't feel like a particularly armed character most of the time uh but I think in a in some of the episodes coming up he after a certain point he does get a, a knife or a dagger and so I kind of wanted him to have that choice of what it was. So we kind of made it, you know, almost like a shop. you know, which one do you like? Uh, So he came in and and got to sort of choose which one he thought the character would have. Um, But other than that, it was, um, you know, always, I mean, for some of the guys who've never done a medieval show or anything like that before, uh, or, you, you know, they start coming along to fittings and then they get dressed up in all this armor or whatever and suddenly they've got their own sword and they just you know turn to kids it's uh it's quite um quite funny to watch that so uh yeah they, yeah trying to make sure they don't take the ceiling down with their sword as soon as they give it put put on their on their costume so yeah um no and and some of them are super experienced and they've they've been through it all and they've seen that they've had their own weapons before um, and it, it's funny sometimes. Um, the, new, the newcomers are like, Yeah, can I have a knife and a sword and a blah blah blah, and all this and that? And um, and the more experienced ones are saying, Oh, no, I'm happy with it, just, just this. And then a couple of weeks into shooting, they realize that they didn't want to have all the stuff because they've got to carry it around all the time, and it's really you know, it's, it can get heavy, and they're like, Oh. Ah, yes, that's why they didn't ask for everything. It was uh, to, yeah. But um, no, it was, um, yeah. There weren't too many more uh, actor
0: requests. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Tim Lewis. Stay tuned. Hey, folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living and Travel & Leisure, and we wanna see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel & Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. Welcome back to West of Westeros, where we're currently in a conversation with Tim Lewis, Master Armorer on House of the Dragon. I remember um being on set with you guys around episode 8 I believe it was at Leavesden Studios and I I you know was able to chat with Miguel for a little bit and um he had mentioned that you guys went through um kind of like a a sword shortage at one point at least in terms of um the design for the iron throne and he kind of mentioned that he had to kind of pull Um, swords from like all these other productions. Um, But I was wondering if that sword shortage kind of hit your department at all.
1: It was less of a sword shortage. A sword sword shortage, yeah. Um, It was basically, there are a lot of blades in that throne. And you, uh, and I was, funny enough, we were sharing the workshop with the prop makers who were working on the throne. And I know that uh, and, and you know um, we were discussing it all the time, and I have a load of molds and a load of blades so I gave them my molds to cast swords from so they would be casting a lot of their swords uh, in plastics and things so they were uh, able to mount those onto the uh, onto the throne and then um we also manufactured a lots of metal swords for them uh, metal blades and they the thing was is that we were just looking around for generic blades that you could buy off the shelf and pete who is currently working with me actually who is heading up the prop making side uh i we pointed them in the direction of this company that makes cheap swords blades from and they basically bought up lots of stock and part of those part of that that you can buy uh from them were swords from other films so you could, so it was too tempting just to kind of say oh, maybe we'll just stick a uh a sting in there or something like that you know it was it, it so there are. I know there are a few. It wasn't me who put it together, but I know you know there are quite a lot of those uh, blades that were put in um, to make up the numbers. And it kind of it felt it, it felt like you know it's the it's 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 the blades of the enemies, isn't it? So it's uh, it was it was quite fun to to do that and, and to have a mix because that number of, of of blades is just it's difficult to make it not appear like the same sword over and over
0: and over again. So it was just a a variation. Do you know how many, even like if you have like a ballpark number, like how many swords you were kind of working with at any given time?
1: That I was working with, uh, or rather the the, the throne. Or that you were
0: working with.
1: That I was working with. Um, Yeah, I mean, um, we had... The Stepstones battle, we had 165 Valerian soldiers and Westerosi soldiers versus 165 Triarchy. So we had 330, act, you know, uh, extras or stuntmen at, at that time. So we we kitted up, you know, 330 there. And you've got to have more than that in stock because they damage them as they go. So, uh, you know, you could just say, well, there's 400 there. Uh not just that you've got the the shields scabbards belts to to get for them as well um axes things like that so and then the jousts as well we've got all of those uh swords so i mean um i'm trying to think now there's at at a, at a guess i don't know maybe we had 500 or something like that it could it, it yeah i probably We could have got into that because every character we do, whilst we make three hero swords, we also make at least six rubber swords. So for each character, there'll be nine to 10 swords. Um, And we'd have three scabbards and three belts. and So yeah, 500 easily, I'd say, uh, if if not more. And lances and breakaway lances, I mean, we did, for the joust, Funnily enough, because I'd done the last duel, the job before, uh, we'd done the, obviously the joust in that or the duel in that sequence. So we'd been sort of researching and designing how we could do that. And so we had the, we knew how we could achieve it. And so we had the, uh, the knowledge of how we could implement it before we went into this job. But funnily enough, I, thinking at the end of the last year, well, that's a, that's the last time I'm going to do a, a joust in a long while. And we ended up, you know, cutting up all, a lot of moulds and things that we could use. And then suddenly the next job, oh, yeah, it's a joust. So we've got to Yeah, it was a, a, a bit of a surprise. So, yeah, we, we ended up making um, 250 breakaway lances, if not 300. And each one of those, you know, was... Uh, filled with uh, debris so that on impact it looked like it was exploding everywhere. So, you know, it, it, was, it was mass production for these things. And also we did a lot of breakaway shields um, in that. There's, there's the uh, Cole versus Damon fight in that sequence. Because we get so used to seeing things done in visual effects, people assume, well, it's all done in visual effects. and. And a lot of us who work in the industry, we want to do it for real. We want to do it. For, we want to do it practically, and so um, hopefully you can see that it's a practical. All, all these things are done practically. The breakaway lances and the, and the breakaway shields, and they're not just something that's been added in in post. Because um, I think that's really important. And and I think I think the guys, you know, Ryan and Miguel and all the others felt that as well. They want to do filmmaking how filmmaking was you know that there, there are a lot of visual effects in house of the dragons but you know it doesn't mean they all have to be so hopefully uh, you know we we kind of added added to that and we we did also do a lot of um uh wax maces and wax axes um, which are hollow wax headed axes and maces which we filled with blood and then put the handle in, and so as soon as they hit, we hit a stuntman uh, with it, it, it just explodes and it just looks like their head's been obliterated, <laughs> effectively. <laughs> Which I mean, I it really is childish, but it's so fun. It's, um, it, yeah, when we we're doing all the uh research on that, you know, you just have this footage of us just playing with it, and it's just it. It's a real fine line between making something that's going to work for its given purpose and hurting the, the person who it's being done to. So it was. It was really. Uh, it, it was. It was fun. And um, yeah. Uh, again, I hope that gets. See, you, you pick that up on in, in, in the um, in the footage that, that you guys get to see, or that everyone gets to see. So
0: yeah. yeah. I'm curious what you have to do to kind of maintain a lot of these weapons, especially like when we think about Blackfire um, and Dark Sister, just like knowing, you know, like all most of the famous Game of Thrones props end up like going on display somewhere at some point. Like, So what do you have to do for like these kind of core weapons?
1: Once everything's manufactured, that's just half the job. It's the, you know, the rest is making sure everything's in the right place at the right time on whatever unit it's supposed to be filming on and making sure it gets there without getting damaged. So like the rest of the, the, the shoot, everything's all, you know, in, on tech trucks. So we're, we're shipping things around in, in boxes on um, special made shelves, uh, transporting it from A to B. We would take, for example, Damon's kit. Damon's kit would all be kept in, in some large Pelly cases most of the time and you would maybe have uh, the three hero versions of it um so the one that peter made which was the real steel one that usually was sort of in its own little special box and only came out for special occasions and then we would we made three more in aluminium which i think you, you probably would struggle to sort of tell the difference um between them uh and they they would all be kept together or be split for different units and then we would also have the rubber versions and then all the belts so you try and keeping this kit together in in boxes so that you can just lift the box take it to set uh so that we can dress it on on people and they're all named um so you, you can easily spot them all and then every now and then you might have to Clean up the swords, or you might want to dirty them down. You know, dictate dictated to you by the, the script what 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 how how you're treating them and what what how they turn up on set, how their art looked. Um, and then we also have all the rubbers, and so when you're fighting, they get damaged due to the you know the very nature. that The, the, the ideal the ideal sword for a stuntman is one that's super soft. Um, but really rigid and so the two things don't go together so you have a sort of 50-50 halfway house so that if they crack their knuckles or something it doesn't hurt too much but doesn't fall apart or doesn't rip as soon as you start hitting it something else so um, so they do get damaged and so it's up to us to try and make sure that we keep them going for as long as they possibly can um, so that's half the challenge of being on set, and it's you can often see an armour just uh, running around quickly, gluing bits back together and spraying something up and make, trying to make it uh, look perfect uh, before the next one gets broken, and then run it back onto set. Uh, but yeah, but that's part of the, that's part of the challenge. I'm trying to think of any other ways we we look after things. Um, yeah, it's it's mixed. It, it really depends on. And what what you're turning up to on a on a specific day, because some days a standby can just be looking after one dagger on a set with a whole load of people talking around a table, and other days it's uh, three hundred and thirty people going at each other, hammer and tongs um so you you it's those differences is in what you're shooting that make it exciting and uh, it's never the same day twice so
0: it's uh, that's you know part of the reason why we do what we do yeah well congratulations on all your work i think it's really paid off from what i've seen i've seen up to um episode six at this point and okay. it's, yeah Amiga. it's been great
1: <laughs> good oh, i'm glad you're enjoying it i'm glad you're enjoying it oh. well
0: thank Thanks. you so much tim I, I really appreciate you taking the time today to speak with me about all this it's it's really been a treat no it's, it's a pleasure. And that's it for this episode of West of Westeros. If you liked what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. To keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at ew on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at@, at Nick a Romano and at Morglar. This episode of West of Westeros is hosted by Nick Romano and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson, Sammy Junio, Nick Romano, and Lauren Morgan. Edited by Michael Classic. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. New episodes of West of Westeros come every Sunday, right after the episodes of House of the Dragon air on HBO and stream on HBO Max. Stay tuned.